ever wanted to work in the gaming industry? He's here to tell you why that's a bad idea. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello everyone and welcome to Behind the Line Radio, a podcast about the making of video games, the business of video games, and the people of the video games industry. I'm your host, Kinetic, aka Nick, and my usual co-host, Baron Fang, could not be here this week, so instead I have my fellow enthusiast contributor, host of the Real Hero Talk podcast, Judge Greg. Greg, how are you doing today? Hey there, Nick, and hey there, enthusiasts. Happy to be here. All right. And the topic for today is involving movies, so that's part of why I brought in Judge Greg on this one, but also, I almost said fellow, but that would not apply, actor, Bill. How are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing all right. Welcome back to the show. Ah, So, what kind of... uh, got my attention and got me interested in trying to tackle this, and I'll try to explain my topic here. There's a big difference between what you would see, or kind of how you would approach, say, a bargain bin for movies and a bargain bin for games. When you look at a movie bargain bin, you kind of think, oh, I wonder if there's anything kind of funny looking in there, if there's anything that would be like an amusing you know, 90 minutes to watch and just be a silly thing. Bargain bins for video games, you think of, like... Running away? Yeah. Yeah, that's one. But just, like, complete and utter failures, complete wastes of time. Stuff like this picture... uh, I I remember this picture, this huge box of... um, What was it? iCarly 2 Game Boy game cartridges... Yep. It, it was this enormous box filled with these game cartridges that weren't selling. Uh, I have, I've seen that game in the wild in that exact scenario. <laughs> at, at a store called Five Below, where everything in the store is $5 and less. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. What what kind of uh, movies would you be able to run into at a, at a thrift store or a dollar store or Five Below or whatever? What kind of movies would you see there versus what kind of games would you see there? And um, I kind of threw this out on Twitter, the topic, and a couple of comments I got back mentioned, uh, Anthony Rossi mentioned uh, Kung Pao, calling it the best bad movie ever, and Literally Unplayable mentioned the Super Mario Brothers movie. And I think that's an interesting place to start. Uh, Kung Pao... Obviously, the the uh, kung fu parody movie. For those who haven't seen it, weird, like not just redubbing but inserting other actors into the the previous Hong Kong movie. Is yeah, is that is that how that worked? I, I just I don't think I ever really fully appreciated how that went. By the way, shout out to Anthony Rossi, host of Video Game Crosstalk. Um, I, what, what was that? Like, it was a real movie, and they they like recut it, reshuffled it, and they they inserted the the actor guy. Was he like in place of an actor who was in the movie, or did they just sort of crop him in and then add some scenes later? I believe they cropped him in and they added a scene where he fought the CGI cow. Yeah, I figured that probably wasn't in the original film. No, no, Bill. This doesn't sound like a bad movie at all. Well, it's it's meant to be very very <laughs> silly, so if you're gonna look at it in, 
I think we have to define our terms here in terms of like movie quality. It's not a good movie in the sense of it's never going to be in any kind of Oscar consideration. It's not going to be that kind of a good movie. But in terms of entertaining, it can certainly be very entertaining. Although there are people who could still be in on the joke and watch that movie and say it's terrible. I I don't need those people in my life, quite frankly. (laughs) There are those people out there. Different strokes for different folks, right? Yeah. And then there's the Super Mario Brothers movie, the movie that left such a bad taste in Nintendo's mouth that it swore off of any cinematic adaptations of its intellectual property for the past, God, how long has it been? 20 years? 15, uh, 20 years? More than, it's got to be like 25, right? When did that movie come out? I don't want to think about it right now. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rack my brain and see if I can could, I could produce... Oh, I can't even think. I I, I want to say that was probably ninety one or so. So we're looking at twenty five plus years. Yeah, that sounds well. I know there was some some sly references to the Super Nintendo, so it would have been the early nineties, one way or the other. Oh, that's right, because there was a Super Scope six in it. You are correct. Nineteen ninety three, because you know we're not like attached to devices that have access to all, all the human knowledge <laughs> I, I figured somebody would come up with it but that's that's still over 20 plus years ago yep yeah so that clearly left a scar on nintendo and you know even then there's amusement to be taken in just how off of the uh concept the show that that movie <laughs> became uh and it answered what? Why there were the Mario brothers named Mario and Luigi? We had Mario, Mario, and Luigi Mario. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's that's the one I think lasting legacy of that is that stuck. But <laughs> but wow, I mean, I just I don't understand why that movie was so much like Blade Runner. That's <laughs> that's not really what I think when I think Mario Brothers. But I mean, tell me if they somebody saw Blade Runner and thought, oh. You know, it'd be really cool if this was Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> let's let's get them in in red and green somehow and have a little bomb walk around. Sure, why not? A tiny, tiny little bomb. Oh. It was the only thing that was like picture perfect to its game counterpart. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock the bomb. It, it was picture perfect, just not scale perfect. No, well, I mean, nothing in that movie was scale perfect. <laughs> so, so. Here's a question just for for discussion. What is can you what is the worst movie you guys have ever seen? And by, by worst I don't mean like bad like something you can enjoy enjoy ironically like and and that's kind of the crux of what I'm thinking with this whole uh uh episode topic because you can you can have a movie that's hor- objectively horrible like The Room or Birdemic but they're bad in such a way that you can just sit back and enjoy them ironically. Have you guys seen a movie that's so bad that you it was just you couldn't get through it? You had to shut it off, you had to leave or or you felt insulted by it or you felt like it was an aggressive waste of your time. The most interesting version of that that I've ever experienced was uh when I was watching the movie uh I think I can't remember if it's Damage or Damages with Jeremy Irons and Juliette Binoche. Great cast, awesome cast, horrible movie. It's the last movie Louis Malle ever did before he died. And I was in England when I was watching it. And so it was a whole bunch of people who were watching it who I think were probably pretty literate and knew what they were thinking about. And the single most dramatic moment of the film 
made everyone laugh. Oh. It was the moment where you know you're supposed to be affected and horrified, and and we laughed like school kids. It was it was so bad. And then there's Jeremy Irons naked running down the stairs, and it's just what what were you thinking, Louis Mall? What were you thinking? Um, and maybe and maybe it's not as bad as I am remembering it because of the fact that you know obviously I saw it with a bunch of people who. We all ended up in the same brain space and just thought it was hilarious as opposed to affecting. Um, and maybe somebody else saw it and thought it was okay, but I really would have to wonder <laughs> about them if they did. Um, and also, it was super predictable. Like, you knew exactly what was going to happen. Literally, like, you would be watching a scene and go, oh, this is the scene where this is going to happen. Yep. This is the scene where this is going to happen. Yep. And if you took the trouble to think the scenes ahead, you would go, oh, I bet you there's a scene where this is going to happen. Oh, this is that scene. <laughs> so it was there was nothing, nothing that you watched it and made you go, ooh, there's some juice there. No, it was a bunch of this is really crappy. Um, and that was one where it's really hard to take it ironically because the movie takes itself so seriously. The so movie is it- it's sometimes a movie taking itself seriously is how an audience can take it ironically, though, because it's sometimes. so serious and you start laughing at how serious it takes itself and it fails. You mean like you mean like the room? Yes. Tommy Wiseau is deadly serious, sadly <laughs> or happily. Um, well, the problem with this one is that it's usually when somebody's taking themselves seriously and then becomes amusing it's because they're not very good at what they're doing. Mm. You're, and part of what you're laughing at is, you know, they're trying so hard and you know they're failing to get what they want, but you appreciate the effort and you're just, okay, this is kind of hilarious that it's just gone this way. When you're watching Juliette Binoche and <laughs> Jeremy Irons and, God, I can't remember who else was in that movie now, um, you, you know you're not watching crappy actors you know he's Louis Maul is not a crappy director. So when that fails, you're like, and they're all being serious. They all mean it. And so you sit there and you just kind of feel bad for them. Mm. It's, you just kind of shrink and you go, oh, this is horrible. And when you realize everybody else in the theater is doing the same thing, then it becomes funny. But only when everybody else is doing the same thing. So <laughs> I, it, it kind of sounds like kind of the crux of the matter that that you're getting at is a... Something you can enjoy ironically requires uh, a sincere but incompetent effort, to put it uh, 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 bluntly. Or or it can be a competently insincere effort. Sure, like Kung Pao. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think – if you're sincere and competent and fail, then it just kind of looks bad, I think. <laughs> it just gives you a sad – Yeah, yeah. It's just you get, wah, wah. <laughs> Greg, is there All a movie right. that would fit this description that you've seen? So I'm I am so hard pressed because I have seen so many bad movies. In fact, so many that uh, one of my old hero talks, I think, way back from uh, July of last year, so almost exactly one year ago, I, I put out a uh, hero talk where we just listed some of the worst movies we'd ever seen, and. Even trying to think what of those would be the worst. So we listed them in no particular order, and we left a lot on the table. So I'm, I'm trying to maybe come up with something new that didn't just get rehashed in that podcast. 
But given, you know what, I there are so many. Aaron Brockovich was an unwatchable mess. And I know that's really not one people usually think of when they think bad movie. But I had a real hard time with that because it was so dumb and so poorly paced to the point where I was. So I watched it in the service. And I say that to provide context that this was maybe the only movie I was going to watch that month. And I said, no, I don't care. I'm going to go back to work. (laughs) So that's that's pretty bad. Labyrinth, uh, which I actually did a hero talk on, that was that I, I was physically pained. That one I actually I now I had to finish it because that's that's what I do. I finish the movie for Hero Talk. I had every intention of finishing that movie when I started it. And I knew I had a couple of days and it took me 3 days because I would just watch it until I got fed up and then turn it off and then come back the next day and try to watch some more of it. And many times in there I would also check how much time I had left on the movie because it, it honestly felt it's not a long movie in terms of running time, but it honestly feels like about 200 years when you watch it. <laughs> and I, I, I would, I would have not made it outside of the first 20 minutes if I didn't have to do it for the sake of the hero talk. And that's, that makes it a pretty strong contender for worst movie ever made. Of course, avatar was kind of a, kind of a mess. And there's so many bad movies. Catwoman. I watched Catwoman. Oh, uh, I, I guess you know what I'm going to go with Labyrinth or Batman and Robin, or or possibly the Avengers. And by the Avengers, I mean the 1998 adaption of the 1960s TV series. Ah, with Sean yeah, Connery in a bear suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that was as Superman Four was a bad movie too. I don't know. There are <laughs> so many bad movies. I'm I'm every time but, but, I name one. Yeah, I think so are one these that I didn't like. Are, are these all movies that you just didn't like, or are these movies that you could enjoy ironically, or are these movies that you just hate so much that you can't get through them? I hate Labyrinth, and I will never, ever watch it again. So you can go ahead and say that one is uh, sure. that one I couldn't get through, because I will, I will never watch Labyrinth again. If the choice was watch Labyrinth once or no more movies for the rest of your life, I'd sit there and say, well, we had a good run, and <laughs> that'd be it. I'd be a reader. <laughs> So <laughs> all future that's... hero talk podcasts would have to be based on memory. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, they would, because that's that was. Yeah. Labyrinth. I'm going to go with Labyrinth. Okay. And I reserve the right to change my mind at a later date. Of course. Of course. Um, so let me ask you this, then. For Labyrinth, where would you put that, given what uh, uh, Bill mentioned, the whole if it's uh, uh sincere and and there's competence behind it that fails would you say that that applies to this movie too oh they i think they were trying to make a charming movie and i really do and and there are people out there that love and adore this movie absolutely in love with this movie and i just i don't see it because to me it was it was a trudge it was such a it was such an effort and undertaking to force myself to watch this movie when I didn't want to. And and any of the other movies that I had just like flippantly mentioned, I probably would rather watch them and at least get some some ironic enjoyment. I, I could watch Catwoman a hundred times before watching Labyrinth one more time. <laughs> that movie just did not resonate at all with me. And if it doesn't resonate with you, it's the movie's very unapologetic in its own little world. So if if it misses the mark with the with the given audience member, which is me, 
there's no coming back. There's nothing redeemable. Right. So I, I call it a sincere effort, but I, I will acknowledge that there are some people who saw that sincere effort and appreciated it. But for me, it was it was so so off base for me that I just not none of it landed. So sincere effort, but didn't didn't work. Well, and you can use as far as that sincere effort uh, meter goes. I mean, you can look at the people who are in it, and you can look at the people who executed it, and say, okay, look, you've got people who. What is it? Jen- isn't Jennifer Connelly in that? Who, yep. who later Jennifer Connelly you know, and uh, and David Bowie. David Bowie, obviously, although he's not. His acting is not what we know him for. Um, and obviously, uh, Jim Henson was behind all of the creature creations. Right. So, right. I mean, which it's is, clear which that there's... Is, yeah, th- I mean, he's 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 the man in terms of cre- creature creation. So, you know, that wasn't ironic. It was done with with every straight-faced intention of making something that was, that was uh, compelling to the audience. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'll jump in here and, and kind of uh, give... My own worst movies at this point. Uh, the actually, uh, I think the most aggressively bad movie I have ever seen might still be in theaters as of this recording, and that's Alien Covenant. That is the most aggressively bad movie I've ever seen. About a half hour in, I was very tempted to walk out of the theater, and I've never felt that before, because that was definitely very competent in in terms of the the mechanical execution of it. But for and and I think it's trying to be a sincere sci-fi movie, but everybody in it is so amazingly stupid, and all of the characterizations and motivations are muddled that the narrative and its ability to bring me into it and absorb me just falls apart. Uh, if I was going to have a second one, then I would say the 2009 Star Trek, because while I am certainly no fan of what. Uh, abrams did with star trek uh that one actually gets physically painful for me to watch because of all the lens flares i Hmm. I can't it literally physically painful even if i see it on a home tv screen it gets to a point where i just cannot look at the screen anymore wow yeah i I hate it hate it i'm I'm really bothered oh sorry go ahead bill sorry i was gonna say i did almost i forgot this is another one a ways back uh, when Columbus 1492 conquest of paradise came out. That's a movie I went to see. And I, it's the only movie that I've been watching in the theater that I was really tempted to walk out on. Mm. I, and I, I don't even remember it very well. Like I remember damage that damage movie much better because it made an impression with all these people laughing at these very serious moments and, you know, great performers. I know that Gerard Depardieu was in, Columbus 1492 Conquest of Paradise. But all I really remember is wanting to leave. That's my main impression of that. It's like, no wonder you conquered paradise. You wanted to get out of this horrible movie. Got it. Okay. The, uh, I, I, I'm actually familiar with that movie because uh, I'm a fan of uh, history buffs on YouTube, and they covered that one. And it was, oh, man, that movie. Oh, oh. That, talk about creative liberties with history. Jesus. I don't even remember. I just remember yeah. sitting there going, this is bad. You're better I, off not remembering I any of the really details. really want to go. Yeah. <laughs> Save that brain space for something valuable. Mm-hmm. Like, like the varieties of Oreo cookies. That's more valuable. There you go. There's going to be a new coconut-flavored Oreo Thin. Ew, gross. I don't like coconut flavor. Yeah, but I'm just saying. 
you add that to the brain for the old Oreo flavor <laughs> in, in, database. It, it, the interior of your Columbus 1492 Conquest of Paradise file now includes <laughs> no. coconut-flavored thin Oreo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, not oh, even a, to talk about the travesty that is a thin Oreo, but that's a different <laughs> podcast. That's <laughs> now. Now I'm imagining something like Inside Out going into some filing cabinet uh, in the brain, trying to look up uh, uh, Christopher Columbus, and they pick out a, a Manila envelope folder, and they just get a f- picture of an Oreo. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I try to do to those things inside my brain. Actually, quite consciously. Replace I everything try. with Oreos? Mm, not necessarily Oreos, just things that are totally inappropriate. This is why I can never remember things. Uh, this is At least that's my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know well, you're fond a... of making confections as well, so that's somewhat of <laughs> That is true. That is oh. true. I have a bread pudding recipe you would love. Yeah, not a bread pudding guy. Neither am I, but wow. That's always a good sign. That's yeah. always a good sign. No, I uh-huh. hate bread pudding except this recipe. <laughs> and I make this for Christmas every year. Ah, nice to have traditions like that. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I've started a tradition of making uh, blintzes every year because that's because they're they taste great and they're probably something that you should only eat once a year because they're like half butter. Yeah, that's the same with the bread pudding. Is <laughs> I, I only make it for Christmas because you should really only eat it once a year. There are there's so much sugar and so much butter. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds like Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I, we, we've we've covered some of what makes bad, like unironically, just legitimately bad movies. So, um, video games. Uh, let, let's just start with Bill, because uh, I'm not sure you're, you're not like the biggest video gamer out there. I don't know if you've even really had an experience like this of a video game that just w- was painful to play for you. Well, you know, so my roots go back further than yours. Oh, uh, certainly. So back, but... <laughs> back with the old Atari 2600, um, there was the Raiders of the Lost Ark game. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that this game is kind of famous in terms of having a failure in it, in that when you started the game, there were three rooms you could go into, and that was it. And you had a whip and a grenade. And that was it. That was all you had. And you walked around and you go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And you'd walk through these three rooms and you'd go, well, yeah, uh, this room still leads to the other room. Hmm. And so you'd whip things and nothing would happen. And your whip was literally just a dot that went away from you and disappeared. <laughs> it was. Okay. And then and the, the grenade was similar. It was a dot that just stood still and then would go poof. Well, the thing is. If you dropped the grenade in the exact right spot next to one of the walls in one of the rooms, it created a hole and you could walk through it. But there was only one spot in one of the rooms where it worked and you had to get pretty frickin close. So you walked around and I'm not even sure how I ever found this out. Like, I don't know if somebody else had found it out and I found, you know pre-internet days like heard it through the grapevine that this is what you did but that was the way i was finally able to find it and if i had never found it it would have literally been this is a cartridge that is a waste of space i don't know what like is this a joke because <laughs> it's, it's not funny right i have this cartridge that's a, it's supposed to be about raiders of the lost ark but there's nothing you can do and once you did that the game was okay and you could find your way around and start doing stuff and you could 
it was a game that I think you could beat, if I recall correctly, which was not the norm back then because a lot of the games were open ended, like Asteroids and Space Invaders and going for high scores, exactly, rather than having a story that could end. Exactly, but this one, but this one, I think you could actually end the story, if I recall correctly. But well, and that that of course was all. in part because there were no there was no memory like you couldn't save a game so it was a lot harder to stop in the middle of a game and come back because you stopped in the middle of the game and you went back to the beginning um so you could you could play the game it was pretty fun but you if you didn't know that one trick you were toast and there was nothing to do it was the most boring thing ever pretty much <laughs> <laughs> I had that game, and I never made it outside those three rooms. Oh, you didn't know? <laughs> I had no idea. And oh, you should go else. back and find it. It's actually... You know, <laughs> it's totally <laughs> ridiculous, isn't it? It's a stupid-ass game if you don't right. know about that. So, so I was like, you're, you're, you're describing the scenario of if you didn't know how to do that, then it was just a waste of space. And I'm sitting here like, yep, that's exactly right. It was a waste of space, because I could not get outside those rooms. And so finally, I just said, you know, I have this whole stack of games for my Atari 2600 that I it was purchased for me by my parents out of a bargain bin. And I like all of these much better. So I just I took it out and never played it again and, and, and would play some of the other games. I liked E.T. better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. Jeez. I never, I never played E.T. You know, I actually, everyone always complains about how convoluted that game was, but I actually beat it all by myself. So, couldn't have huh. been that bad, you know. I would have been fairly young when when the game came out. Yeah, oh. and I like I said, I don't know, I can't remember how I discovered dropping the grenade in the right spot. If it was random, if I ran, oh, and that was the other thing. If you were too close to the grenade and it blew up, you died. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, and and so it's like, wait, so not only do I have to find the exact right spot, I can't. And it was that was an unusual feature that you'd be too close to something and you'd die back then, right? Like, you know, it used to be your weapons only hurt the other people. They never hurt you in in a lot of those video games way back when. And it was just the most ridiculous thing to expect somebody to figure out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As clearly, you did not. Yeah, I yeah. did not. No, nope. I had no concept of that until years and years later, and I was watching some YouTube video about the hardest Atari games or something, and somebody I saw somebody do that, and I thought, oh, so that's how that was done. <laughs> <laughs> so, Greg, do you have yes. a, a game that you would point out, or is it also Indiana Jones on the 2600? <laughs> no. If I, had, if I had to think of some games that were just bad... I mean, it's Listen, I, I, I have a list, and my list is unfortunately very full of superhero games, and that's not it's only because I just came off the point streak where we talked superhero games, but they are some of the worst games ever released. And the worst game that I have ever played, in terms of just the poor controls, it wasn't really built all that well, and it took a property that I absolutely loved, and it just took a number two all over it, was Batman Dark Tomorrow which came out cross-platform for GameCube, Xbox, and PS2. And that game was uh, terrible, unplayable. Some people will say, well, Atlantis, or uh, Aquaman Battle for Atlantis was worse. No, it wasn't. Some people say Superman 64 was worse. 
No, it wasn't. Some people might say, well, but okay, go back to, you know, say one of these other games from the old era that was bad, like the Friday the 13th game for NES. Maybe that would be worse. No, it wasn't. I, I'd play that game well before I'd ever touch Dark Tomorrow again. Mm. And and I would I would gladly play through Superman 64 in its entirety before ever attempting Dark Tomorrow again. And I was, I was looking forward to the game. I had it pre-ordered, by the way. I pre-ordered it from Babbage's, just so we can date the podcast a little bit here. <laughs> and I got it. I got it back. Uh, I was in college at the time, so I got it back to my dorm room, popped it in, played it for all of about 20 minutes, took it out, uh, hated the world, and I was just moping. And my roommate came in at the time and thought, didn't your Batman game come out? Don't you want to play it? I, I looked him in the eye and said, no. No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, just by my tone, he just knew, like, oh. Time to okay. drop this topic. <laughs> We're just gonna we're just gonna let that sit there. <laughs> so yeah. it was it's Batman Dark Tomorrow. Yeah, there's actually uh, on Wikipedia there's an article of list of video games notable for negative reception, and Dark Tomorrow is one of the ones on there. As well, it should be. Interestingly enough, despite some of those um, uh, infamous aspects of uh, Indiana Jones, uh, it's not on the list. But E.T. is on the list for the Atari well, 2600. I mean. E.T. was kind of a mess, to, to be honest. I just, it was a mess in all the right ways that, because, you know, we've established I'm insane, and it was insane in the same ways I was insane to the point where it, the whole thing made sense to me. Because you hear the complaints if you go to YouTube, and it's like, well, why can E.T. fly when you raise his neck? Well, I didn't really question that. I just saw, <laughs> oh, E.T. flies when you raise his neck. Got it. But that didn't happen in the movie. That obviously didn't concern me at the time. But... <laughs> And from what I understand, Indiana Jones is a good game as soon as you know where to put that grenade. But man, they uh, the learning curve is steep on that game. Certainly, yeah. Some of the some of the game. I think I'm a little bit weird because I get if I have a game that I don't like, and if I get in my head that I am going to beat it, I wind up doing just about anything I can to beat it. Uh, one game that sticks out in my mind, which it. Oddly enough, I have actually spotted on the Angry Video Game Nerds shelf is an NES game called Star Voyager, which is this uh, almost space fighter sim type game. But the, the, it, it has several problems. One is that it doesn't handle thrust. First of all, it's an NES game trying to run in 3D space, so things get a little wonky there. Oh, okay. Sorry. I just got shivers. <laughs> Two, it doesn't handle thrust very well, so you can kind of drift a little bit without turning your engines on, but you can turn your engines on and start moving toward and away from stuff. Uh, and I think you can even, uh, just with your normal thrust, there's this sort of galaxy map, and you can actually move from sector to sector under normal thrust, but if you accelerate up to a certain point, and, and this is... Some of the navigation stuff is convoluted and why there's problems with the game. If you navigate up, to, if you throttle all the way up, you go into hyperspace. And, like, if you're at the very edge of going in, you, you, like, charge up a thing, and that's how long you stay in hyperspace, which is how many spots you can go on the galaxy, how many, like, grid spaces you can travel on the galaxy map. You can select where you're going to go on the galaxy map to set your course, but if you were to move your ship's uh, bearing, that would change where you're targeting in the galaxy map. 
So that whole thing's really convoluted. And if you're in a firefight and you have to be moving, sometimes if you get shot in a firefight, your engines cut a bit. So you wind up having to accelerate a lot. And because you got shoot and accelerator, your two buttons, right? Because it was an NES, you got A and B. Yeah, you have two buttons, yep. Yeah, so you don't exactly have a lot of fine control. You got up, down, left, right for your directions, A to shoot, and B to control your engines. So to control your engines, what you do is you hold it down to accelerate, and you tap it to decelerate some, right? Uh, I think that was it. But if you keep getting shot and losing acceleration, you have to keep hitting the button to accelerate back up again so you're not a sitting duck. And sometimes you just accidentally go into hyperspace. And you, you go away. Now, as, <laughs> just like that, just accidentally just enter hyperspace. Yeah. Now, Where Han Solo happen- is just banging his head against a wall. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. Uh, and then there's the fact that you're trying to fight this huge fleet off by yourself. And, you know, the, the it's an NES game, so the space fighting isn't exactly great. The managing of speed is rough. You have to keep shooting down these big things that keep avoiding your line of fire. So exactly how things are moving is weird and doesn't really work right. But there's also things that can that you can find that'll help you out fighting. So you're in this solar system and if you you can land on planets to try to pick up an item that'll soup up your ship. You get better engines or better lasers and there's supposed to be another thing that I never found like the star bomb thing. I'm I don't know. You know. That might have been something that was written in the instruction manual that wasn't actually in the game and got cut. It was the Death Blasm from the last Starfighter. Uh, wasn't that Death Blossom? I think it was. I thought, oh, maybe it was. I don't know. I thought it was Blasm. I, I, I want to say it was Blossom. Could be. <laughs> I've, I've seen the movie relatively recently because I did a hero talk on it, and I want to say Death Blossom. Yeah. Although... Death Blasm could have made just as much sense, and I might have blocked that out of my memory. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, it, it, so all of that was rough, uh, but you, you try to get onto the planets, and landing on the planets, to, you, you land on the planet, most of them didn't have anybody on it. It was just this, um, you know, like a, 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 a surprise bag kind of a thing. You go there, hopefully there's someone there, usually there isn't, um, and... You, the the whole time the enemy fleet is approaching your your home base, which is what you're trying to defend, and so it's it's a race to try to get these things to help to 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 blast away the enemies. And if you get them all gone, you win. Yay, great! But it, everything on the way there is just so time consuming and slow and painful and convoluted, and the controls aren't good. And it I I and on top of all of that, when you boot up the game. It 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 plays this obviously it it has title music right but on an NES you know with its MIDI music the melody starts with a couple of really long drawn out notes like da da and it does not go into also Sprague's Arthurstra despite what those two notes were um, <laughs> or the 2001 theme for those who don't know its its uh, proper title. But usually you can go past the menu on that, and it's just this horrible soundtrack to start off with. It needed to get right into the punchy bit that it, it and it, they they didn't do that, so it was just it was a miss on a lot of levels. But it's a game that that I had purchased for like twenty bucks, which was pretty cheap at the time, and uh, I just 
I, I would not let that purchase be for nothing, and I kept working at it until I was able to beat it, and it was not satisfying. See, that's another bad thing about a video game, is that if you can beat it, and then when you do, you're not satisfied. You get there, and you're like, why? Whatever. Okay. Mm. That's never good. Mm-hmm. The worst is when you beat the game, and at the end, it's just a black screen with white text on it. You play a great <laughs> game. So, so if you were to build a video game to be appreciated, ironically, it would that would be its victory screen, just <laughs> yes, black, black no, with white. Actually, text. actually, there is a game that exists that was built to be enjoyed ironically, or at least was released because people enjoyed it ironically, and that's Goat Simulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Greg, I presume you've seen this, and Bill, I presume that you have not. I I have not. I I have seen that. It's, yeah. yeah, it's it it is a bad game by every objective standard. But the idea is, it's it there was no one. It, was, it wasn't really meant to be released as a as a commercially successful game. It was just kind of, if I understand, it, it was either like an inside joke or some sort of like proof of concept that somebody just built for giggles, and. It, there was so much ironic humor to it that they just decided to release it, flaws and all. Yeah. So it, it's a game that is riddled with bugs, and that's half the point. You're running around as a goat, and it'll do stuff like a goat climbing a ladder, but the animation is so broken that its head starts just flapping around for no reason. Mm-hmm. All kinds, of, All kinds of weird, broken stuff like that. Uh yeah, I'm surprised we haven't actually seen a glut of games like that that are released that are just these buggy, nasty messes. But they, the developer tries to come out and say, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, look at this buggy game we released. Yeah, yeah well, but isn't, sorry, isn't it the problem that if it's too buggy, it's just not going to work, right? I mean, there comes a point, like, at least with a bad movie, it's still going to go from point A to point B, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> right. It's really hard. It's really hard to make a movie so bad that it foils the mechanism for displaying the film. <laughs> if you could, that would be pretty awesome. That would be um, bad. The Blu-ray player itself decides no, no, <laughs> exactly. we're done. Shooting, shooting the discs back at you like those old guns. Ah. <laughs> 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 oh. I know I shouldn't have gotten a disc changer. Ah! <laughs> yeah, there's um, there are a few games that are like that though. Like uh, oh, why was um, uh, oh, I I'm blanking on the name. It's like Surgeon Simulator or something like that. Uh, where you or or Quop and Clop games that are designed to have such weird and bizarre uh control schemes that you cannot look at them as, you know, properly functional games. There are some uh, examples of that. But are they actually fun? Are they actually interesting? Yeah. Sur- are they yeah. worth playing? Surgeon Simulator 2013, that's the one I'm thinking of. And yeah, that one's actually kind of fun because the the broken interface is the game mechanic. So I, th- I guess that's kind of how you can ironically enjoy a video game is... You're actually trying to figure out how to work this despite, or, or the the game itself is trying to figure out how to play it. Well, and now that is a sort of meta approach to the idea of gaming, right? So, I mean, you could even make it, and there are games that do this, some not dissimilar to what you were talking about with uh, 
your Star Frontiers or whatever it was game where the attack makes you slow down, where there are things that happen in the game that change the given conditions of how you interact with the game. So, oh, this happened, everything's upside down now, and your controls are upside down, Mm. or something like that. And that sort of thing can happen, and it's a very meta way. uh, And in its own way, it's kind of cool. And when half the mystery is, wait, what does, how do I control this? That's kind of, that in and of itself is kind of fun. And so there's a process of discovery, and that's one of the things that I think makes gaming fun in a lot of ways, is that sense of discovery. Hence, Mm -hmm. a black screen at the end of the game with white text, you don't discover anything. Mm -hmm. Whereas, when you find the secret room in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you go, oh my god, that's amazing! (laughs) <laughs> but if you don't that's, find that's it... That's what I hear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and and there's a lot of games where there's that, you know, the secrets, uh, you play GTA and the little packages that are around or whatever that you're going to pick up, and being able to find them, which has all been sort of adulterated by the fact that you go find somebody who did a playthrough and, where's this one? Oh, it's over there, I'll go find it. And it's nowhere near as satisfying as when you discover it yourself. Um, but those things are are part of what I think make a video game really that rewards you for playing it. Right. Cause you feel like yeah. you feel like you've got a little secret. You feel like you've discovered something. You feel like you've done something. You feel like you've accomplished something, even though it's a video game. <laughs> God, how clever of them. Um, yeah. And so that even with the controls, when you figure it out, you go, Ooh, 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 I got it. I, I'm, Ooh, I found something. As opposed to, yeah, I know how it all works. It's just lame anyway, hmm. right? So yeah, I think that's um, like that sense of discovery is is that, that you're mentioning is one of those uh, things that gives you that what, what I was missing with uh, Star Voyage, or like I said, it, it it wasn't a rewarding experience, and either one of the other things that video games does is they can either uh, give you a new way to getting into a narrative, uh, which something like, you know, going back to the roots here that um, uh, Indiana Jones on the 2600 was the industry started sort of dipping its toes into, or going for high score games or, you know, other kinds of competitive head-to-head games is about more getting you into a, a flow state where the, the act of doing it is the reward itself. Um I think that's those are what make for good video games and in a game like these ironically enjoyable video games Goat Simulator Surgeon Simulator a lot of these ironic video games are simulator games uh aren't they well people need a point of reference to understand how ridiculous it is <laughs> I imagine like if you were to make a game and let's say just something extremely complicated not many people know how to run like I can't even say flight simulator because there's a thousand flight simulators. But let, so let's go the other direction. Let's say it's a it's a submarine simulator, and the submarine does a control right. What percentage of the population is going to sit there and say that's just so ridiculous? The submarine's inverted. It can't do that. <laughs> how many people would just say, "Oh, the sub inverted. I didn't know they could do that." Huh? So, you know, or yeah. maybe you take it to a satellite and you're playing satellite simulator, and somebody. Somebody who's sitting over at like the the GPS operating systems office or plays this game and goes, "Wow, 
that's crazy. My communication satellite hit my tracking satellite. They're at two different orbits. But the rest <laughs> of us wouldn't have any concept of that. So just a couple of, couple of examples there. Yeah. Yeah. Most any time you're going to have the kind of specific information, then, then it, when you when you try to convert it into some entertainment medium or something for consumption, you're going to have uh, uh, discrepancies showing up because yeah. game testing is not like grandma's boy. No, uh, it is. It is not. Thank you for that for Christmas, by the way. <laughs> I love having that show up. But yeah, I mean, whereas we've all seen goats. And while we're not surgeons, we have a basic idea of cutting tools and what the inside of a body looks like. And how hands work. And how hands work. Oh, yeah, because isn't that game the one where... Yes, you have one key for each finger. Yeah, oh, man. It's so bad, but it's so fun. Yeah, Surgeon Simulator is like if you were a surgeon that was drunk, high, and hasn't slept for four days. And let me ask you this. Uh, when you fail in Surgeon Simulator, is it interesting? Uh, oh, yes. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> so trying to throw thing... somebody's liver back inside them. <laughs> Hell, when you so succeed, this... it's interesting, too, because oftentimes it's just like you, you have to replace a heart, so you're like rooting around in there with the scalpel trying to get all the arteries out, and you just kind of tuck a heart back in there. You get through the, the rib cage just by smashing it with a hammer. You succeed... Just by smashing stuff in, you don't, like, sew up or finish or anything. So the failure is part, like, how you fail is as interesting as anything else, which is part of which makes you realize, oh, this is actually a well-done game because they mm-hmm. thought this stuff through, right? right? Mm-hmm. They didn't They didn't just leave it and let it be a bug or something crazy happen. And this kind of reminds me, and I always forget the name of this particular game that we talked about, Nick, when we were doing the narratives, the one where... The narrator is talking as you will do stuff. Uh, the Stanley Bastion? Parable. Stanley, the Stanley, Stanley Parable. Yeah, yeah. And so that there, your failures produce this really wonderful reaction, or are they failures? We don't know. But the narrator's getting snarky. Cool. <laughs> Let's see how snarky we can make him. You know. <laughs> and so you keep exploring that. And look, can I can I make him say something else? Cool. Oh, and that's half. In that case, sometimes the failure is the reward, right? Mm-hmm. And that becomes as interesting as, well, if I can't figure out the controls, at least at least I'm watching something really bizarre happen as a result. So video games, to kind of bring it back to the comparison here, video games need to have something in there to reward a player to basically give them something for their time and effort of playing. Whereas Mm -hmm. movies, because, I mean, there's a difference between unplayable and unwatchable. That's something, Bill, you kind of pointed out. You don't have games that'll... You don't have movies that will completely defeat their playing uh, apparatus. So, technically... That we know of. (laughs) I suppose... I suppose someone but, could program in something in a, a Blu-ray uh, uh, information that would. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, we, it's we, like, we don't want to open that Pandora's box. It, uh-huh. It's like what was the the movie about watching? You watch the DVD or whatever, and then you're gonna die. It's, uh, the it's ring. like that. Only it's for your DVD player. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the ring. The ring. That's right. But and it was a VHS because everyone had those back then. Was, yeah. 
the movie was not out that long ago to the point where I remember even when I saw it thinking, nobody has all, who, where are all these people with all the VHSs coming from? <laughs> At least it wasn't Betamax. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be that would have been the worst. A girl put her put her her movie on the Betamax, then nobody watched it. <laughs> Everyone's just looking. I I think this is a VCR, but it doesn't fit. Huh? This is the best album ever. <laughs> I have put it on eight tracks, so it will be preserved and never heard. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the you can always yeah, you can always play a movie and watch a movie. Uh, because it does, you don't have any additional. I don't know how to exactly describe it. Like audience well, requirements. Have, yeah, you don't have any additional input other than turning it on. Yeah. yeah. So sure, the only way the movie becomes unwatchable is if it actually offends you to the point that you are willing to expel the effort to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Or like it keeps flashing bright lights in your eyes and gives you a headache, like Star Trek 09. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that'll do it too. No, yeah. So, hmm, I think that's uh, uh, some interesting points there, because there there are absolute even even bad games that become unplayable. Uh, they become something that you can enjoy ironically when you're watching somebody else playing them, uh, because yes, mm-hmm. yes, uh, there's. Uh, but then uh, let me ask. But let me ask you this about that particular situation. At that point, as the watcher of what you know, seeing somebody else play the video game, isn't the video game basically a movie at that point? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. Yeah. Oh no, it's my not stealing a- the thunder. I mean, that was the point. The equation. Yeah. <laughs> as, as soon as I no longer have agency in it, and then I can just passively watch, the frustration and the lack of reward is offset by the fact that I'm, I'm no longer giving of myself and receiving nothing in return. I just, and, I just have to hit play and watch the angry video game nerd do it. Exactly. And sometimes, and sometimes the angry video game nerd is half of the entertainment. In that oh, movie. absolutely. Like, no, no, no. Angry oh, video game yeah. nerd and nerd cube. They both play plenty of bad games. Um, Jim Sterling plays bad games, but in, in all of those things, they tend to be a bit more uh, edited down. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't force you to have the same level of frustration of trying to figure out what's going on. And they're personalities that you can enjoy in their own right. You can maybe just enjoy uh, listening to them talk about whatever, and it's just here they're talking about a terrible game and kind of making some jokes about it or maybe giving you some insight. But it's a more rewarding experience because they're actually giving you something as opposed to a game that you can't figure out the controls for, you can't figure out why these three rooms are empty and you don't know where to put the grenade, you're just beating your head against a wall. There's nothing there for you. I'm so glad so I brought much. that up. <laughs> it's it's an excellent example. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so uh, there's something that I want to bring up about the difference between video games and films and the traditions that come that feed into them. Because obviously video games a much shorter timeline to to deal with in terms of how long we've been interacting with them as opposed to film entertainment and entertainment in general what you know the films basically developed out of which is the theater because there are some really interesting traditions in the theater that actually contribute to crappy entertainment that are still entertaining 
but they're not meant to be quality. So, for instance, British Panto, which is, you know, the men come out dressed as women and they're singing songs in the falsetto. And it's not meant to be high theater at all, but it's just supposed to be entertaining for this moment right now. You're not supposed to walk away with it and think about it later or anything like that. And there's a whole slew of different traditions like that in the theater, some of which actually have found their way into film, particularly what comes to mind is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I don't think anybody would look at it and say, well, that is a fine piece of cinematic (laughs) art. But it's extremely entertaining, particularly when you're there with a whole whole bunch of people who, if you haven't seen it before – know the response lines and you go oh my god this is an who came up with that was really clever but it's that some of it is that interactive quality and what that leads me me to realize when i was thinking about this is that there are aspects of a film or a play that can appeal even though the rest of it's not any good at all Mm. um and you can you can hang your hat on that as an audience member and be perfectly satisfied that this one aspect was so worthwhile that this one person came out, this one actor was really, really good. This one song made the whole play or whole film or this one moment or this one, you know, other aspect of it was amazing. Whereas I think with a video game, because it's requesting that you participate automatically that you can't be satisfied by just this one scene because you've got to get through. You can't be satisfied by the fact that the grenade breaks the wall because you were so frustrated by how stupid it is. Even when I figured it out, I was like, okay, cool. I can play the game now. What a stupid ass thing to do. My 12 year old (laughs) brain thought because it seemed dumb and it was. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas as you watch a, you can watch, I, and I think I don't think I'm saying something that, that anybody would disagree with. That there's a lot of movies or or plays or whatnot that people will watch and go, yeah, the movie wasn't very good, but that one performance, or I love the music, or there's something about it that you can hang your hat on and and take hold of. Mm. Whereas with a video game, I don't think I don't think it doesn't matter how good the music is if the video game sucks, right? I mean, then you're just like, well, I just listen to the album. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there has to be. I, I'm, I've, I know I've heard people describe games where they thought, you know, th- I didn't like this and I didn't like that, or there, I've heard a lot where the controls are really frustrating, and they say, but the story is compelling, and you just wanted to press forward. But I would think like that's it, it's a much lesser extent than than what what you were just talking about, Bill, because there's no way if the controls were unplayable and the story was bad and the music was really bad, but the third boss fight was amazing. No, that's not a game I'm going to think fondly of. That's something that most people would probably say. It's a real shame. This is surrounded. Like this is a really great design. It's a shame. It's surrounded by the rest of the game. I hope another game will take this idea and run with it. Yeah. So it's almost video games. They have a higher standard of what what needs to be good to outweigh the bad. Maybe not a higher standard, but a higher requirement because they also ask for so much from the audience. Well, and there are and, you know, along those lines, there are movies out there that you've watched, I'm sure. And you go, yeah, the movie's not good. But, oh, man, that one scene is so good. I'd watch it again just for that. Mm. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
and and that happens i think it's also sometimes easier in that in the creative process of creating a film or a play or whatnot to stumble on something and just sort of get gold in this moment oh we just happen to have a great editor so everything looks amazing or we just happen to have a great music person so these things that should should be cheesy suddenly aren't or whatever i think it's easier with that particular effort to find that gold by accident whereas my impression is that with video game construction you there's a lot of pitfalls and you can fall into any of them mm. and lose your way right and it's not that you wouldn't lose your way as an as a director or an artist in the film or theater world, but somebody else is also an artist that might pick you up. Whereas it feels like a lot of times in video games, Oh, somebody screwed this up. I can't, I can't do my thing now because this, uh, I have to work around this problem that they left me. Right. Something like that. I, I think I get what you're saying. It's, it's like, um, it's easier to, to find like within a story to find like a diamond in the rough within a movie, like this one aspect that you like. Whereas in the games, it's, it, it can just, the rest of the game can, can drag it down and make what would be good. Um, just, you know, unacceptable. And part uh, of, and part of the reason for that, I think is that as much as games ask of you, there's really only one way that you interact with them. Whereas with, theater and film there are multiple ways that you interact with them there's there's i'm sitting back and i'm watching i'm sitting back and i'm talking to my partner i'm talking back to the people on stage because there are aspects of performance that actually require that of you i mean there are comedians that that rely on the audience trying to heckle them Mm. right i mean and that's how they that's how they entertain um and so we have, because in part because of our history and having much more experience as a culture in general, interacting with these entertainment forms, we have more ways that we can express ourselves in relation to them. That leads to having the Rocky Horror Picture Show and response lines, as opposed to the video games where there's it's very limited how you can respond to them, right? I mean, you have to do a lot more. But the controller, it's all through that controller. Like, you can yell as much as you want at the video game, but the video game isn't going to respond. Now, another player might respond, but the game itself could, couldn't could give a two shakes of a lamb's tail as to what you're doing, right? It doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say something else, and I got trapped by that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I'm, I'm loving the colloquialism. I really am. Uh, <laughs> And that's not going to make me stop shouting at the video game any less. And as long as I have the mic, I have seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show over 50 times, and it is magnificent. <laughs> I, th- I think, um, to some extent, there are some n- new ways, sort of burgeoning ways of interacting with video games uh, these days. But they they really do fall into stuff that we've already spoken about by essentially making the movies by, you know, having YouTubers or streamers. And when you're interacting with the game there, you're, you can either listen to the, the, the player berating the game or talk with the person playing it. And that just turns into your talking with your partner, you know, while watching the movie, something like that. You know, there isn't a whole lot of it, but at the same time, there isn't a whole lot of room to like riff 
a video game. If you're ever going to do that, it would have to be like um, Unskippable by the Loading Ready Run crew when that was still going on, where they would just riff on cutscenes. But that's not really gameplay. Again, that's sort of turning into the movie. So I, I think that's actually a little bit counterintuitive, even ironic, that the uh, video games, which are based on interaction uh, as opposed to movies, have less variety in the ways that you can interact with them because it has to be that interaction has to be on the game's terms. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely correct, and I think it's most noticeable. It's more noticeable if you're going to do live a live performance versus a video game. But it's true with the movies as well because you have that option of, am I part of it? Uh, the comparison versus Rocky Horror versus that film I was talking about, Damage, where we all ended up sort of in the same mental state as you would if you were yelling response lines at the screen for Rocky Horror because we all kind of had come without it, talking to each other, which is kind of kind of interesting. Nobody was talking to each other, but by the end of the movie, we all knew this is hilarious. <laughs> it's not supposed to be, but we're all going to laugh, aren't we? Yep. And we did. And that whole process of coming to a hive mind consensus like that sort of isn't really available as you play a video game. I mean, there are times when you're going to be communicating with your partners and whatnot, and you'll come to a consensus of some sort. But it doesn't happen naturally and without without the conscious choice, you know, where you're talking to each other. Mm. And I, I, I'm sorry, I actually uh, thought of another way that... that uh... Uh, you can interact with games that's coming about is is esports and being able to watch uh, professional players playing. So that I have I actually uh, some days I don't like to watch ESPN all that often, and it's not that I don't like sports. I love sports. I just don't like ESPN because they are very bad at covering sports. But I do put it on if I'm just looking for some game to watch because no matter what time of day it is, somewhere in the world. Somebody is playing a competitive game against somebody else, and there's a camera there, and I want to watch it. Hmm. And I tuned in once, and ESPN, the actual regular ESPN, was showing esports. I think it was, um, oh, I don't remember which game it was. League of Legends, maybe, or Legends of the Fall, or those might be the same game, or different games. <laughs> don't hate me, not my genre, but I... What I just couldn't get over is like the showmanship around all of the, you know, all of the players coming out and they're sitting up on the stage and people are shouting back at them and you got these guys shouting between each other and then interacting with the other team between the the matches, uh, even to the point where there was a play-by-play and analyst calling the game as as they were <laughs> as they were playing, which I'm glad they were doing because I, I was totally lost as to what I was watching. <laughs> Um, and I watched it because, again, there there was there was a game being played competitively with a camera on it, and I was going to watch it because that's that's all I ask for. I, I as as much as I might look at esports and say those aren't athletes, I'm still going to watch competition on film. That's just hmm. part of who I am. Uh, and that was it was a it was a dramatically different experience for me watching that than I would have had if I was just watching somebody on Twitter play it. Uh, I mean, just the whole production rise, there is a different level of investment there that even though this is a game that I would find dreadfully boring, watching somebody play, playing myself, 
when when you have the lights and 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 everything else going on, then you you find yourself becoming invested and you're interested in it more. Which is, I mean, it, you can you can liken that to other things. It's why people love baseball when they're sitting in the stadium but don't want to tune in for four hours to watch a game. It's it's a whole different level of of interaction when when you can see the way they're set up like that. So, Ironically, though, I can't watch esports live because I find that dreadfully boring. Hmm. So here's so here's a question though. So as you're watching it on TV, does that turn what you're watching into a form of entertainment, not dissimilar to as we were talking about when you watch uh, somebody playing a bad video game, not dissimilar to a film? Whereas the yeah, I mean, basically, it's it's taken my agency out of it because I'm mm-hmm. just watching these four and four teams. It's it's essentially it's taken it's taken the game and just it turned it into a, a I, I I want to say spectacle, and that might be a bit of a condescending term in in this, but I mean no, I, I mean it. I, I mean so. it in the I think best spectacle, way. spectacle has spectacle has a certainly yeah. uh, a, a, a fitting uh, application here. I think I don't think yeah. that's and I don't think it's a, a pejorative at all. So, but it, it by turning it into a spectacle, it's it's sort of taken it's built upon the game, the thing that I wasn't interested in, and turned it into a viewing experience I was interested in. But you're exactly right, because at no point in time was I able to pick up my controller and interact with the thing on screen. It was it was a viewing experience. And Okay, so how long until video games go uber meta and you're controlling the video game player playing a video game? <laughs> I, I uh, just curious. <laughs> uh, the, I think that would be another simulator joke game. That would that would be kind of funny though. I mean, your 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 controller controls the hands that are holding the controller for the other game. When Stanley when Stanley sits down to play the video game in the Stanley Peril, that would be a fascinating <laughs> moment. Yeah, can't you play all of Crash Bandicoot and Uncharted Four? I don't know. I don't know that one. I, I want to say that's a thing that that Drake, whatever his name is, I I, I still, Nathan Drake. Behind. Nathan Drake, thank you for that. Nathan Drake sits down and he plays Xbox, and you can actually play through all of Crash Bandicoot if you wanted to. <laughs> I like that. Ah, uh, so um, I, I I think this kind of touched on something that that's a little counterintuitive, but has a lot of truth to it. Where uh, video games, the more interactivity that the medium gives, and this isn't necessarily video games, but any any medium, entertainment, venue, activity, whatever you want to call it, kind of the more agency it gives you, perhaps the the less. Uh, what 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 was it we were calling it before? You get more agency, but you're more restricted in how you can interact with it because you are more tied to that particular interaction method that gave you the agency in the first place. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Or am I yeah. just off the reservation here? Or you could just say, when you're stuck with a controller. <laughs> uh, I, suppose, I suppose that's one way to put it, but... I, I think there's 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 well, literally what there. it is literally what it is is do you have one way of interacting with the medium or do you have multiple ways of interacting with the medium and the video game and what you're looking at is in the video world video game world you often just have the one way which is the controller right whereas in the other mediums you have a lot of like you know music I'm gonna get up and dance or I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna listen very carefully you know or 
Um, I, I think there's there, there might be some additional things here where it, video games maybe you have you're very restricted to how you interact with the video game, but say the video game itself does something else like uh, Star Wars Galaxies the MMO actually ha or better yet Eve Online it, it thriving player economies they build their own stuff they fight their own stuff and there's different things you can do within it um, and in that. I actually find reading news stories about what's happening in the EVE Online world to be fascinating. Like when World War B was going on, this huge war that started inside the EVE Online community. Um, it, it just starts raiding out in different ways. But there's also the Twitch Plays events. Twitch Plays Pokemon. Oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bill, if you haven't heard about this, Twitch Plays Pokemon was... Uh, they they set up, I think they set up a computer that w was running a Pokemon game, and everyone would tune in and watch it on the Twitch streaming service. And in the chat, they they would basically everyone would yell in commands, right? And they would, I I, I forget the exact mechanism, but just one person's command would be executed at a time, and it would kind of be not exactly. I don't think it was exactly random who it picked. It would like, go in sequenced chunks. It would pick someone from this chunk, and then it would pick someone from the next chunk, and then it would pick someone. And so the community as a whole was playing the game, one game. Everybody watching was playing the game or trying to contribute to playing the game. And eventually they beat it. And then, of course, the Internet being the Internet, they, they went crazy with it, and then they tried to have Twitch plays Dark Souls, which... Uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that went very badly until they essentially turned it into a uh, um, a turn-based game. They they had to modify it to the point where it was a turn-based game for Twitch to have any chance, and then they they eventually beat it. So, just well, to, that's interesting because yeah. what that's done is it's changed the dynamic in terms of how you're because now the interaction with the game. Is it's still basically you're trying to control the game, but what they've done is linked you both sequentially and in parallel. Like you're 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 sort of sequentially linked to the game, but you're in parallel with all the other controllers, and you're trying to see who gets through there. So you turned you in. It's created a community that you don't necessarily have an opportunity to do in other games, and you are lucky that you're sort of, well, you know, unless it's a really bad movie or a really bad play, but you get the community right away, right? Your audience is a community on a, to a certain extent immediately because everybody there is there to see the same thing. Well, what they've done is they've created a situation where the, all those people trying to control the game are a community and are and they have a common goal that they're trying to achieve. They might be going different directions, but now the game has set up the parameters that determine... I, as you put it, whose directions it's going to follow. Hmm. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, I, I would imagine that some additional interesting wrinkles with interaction with the uh, uh, video games as a medium will wind up coming up. Uh, be they... Uh, I, I still want to see um, more fleshed out spectator modes... And this might even fit in with with some of the VR stuff that's been happening to be able to watch 
competitive uh, video game. So you can it, it the video game is is allowing you to simply watch, or maybe you could uh, uh, if say there's a game with stage select, you can be an audience member, and then you can vote on the stage selected rather than letting it be random or something like that. You know, I've uh, I saw some games at. PAX East last year, and they they had similar uh, a similar style of interaction where there was a game that would be played, and you would be watching it on Twitch or whatever the streaming service was. I don't remember if it was proprietary, but then the longer you watch, you earn points, and then you use those points to buy modifiers to throw in the game, either to help or hurt the players that are trying to play the game. So you were like Hunger Games. Uh, right. Yeah. So you're playing you're patrons. playing Hunger Games style things. Like you're sitting there and like, well, I have enough points, so the floor is lava. That was literally one where the floor <laughs> is lava, and now everyone's scrambling to try to get to higher ground because they can't be on the floor anymore. And that's that's something that you, the player, can do to try to help or, or whoever's out there. Yeah. That's uh, that, and that's another way to to have a, a different kind of interaction, and that would be primarily. Um, a viewership role where you could have all of those different things and then you could have choices with how you're interacting with the players. Are you going to help? Are you going to hurt? Are you going to try to time it? Are you going to try to stack with other play people doing stuff? It's like you have like floor is lava and I don't know, acid cloud. It seems I'm just making stuff up. I haven't seen the thing you're talking about, but if you like synced with someone else doing that to just screw everybody over or something, it would be, you know, pretty interesting. I Mm. think I think one of the things that is coming and in a way that we don't – I personally cannot conceive yet is that right now the ways that one can interact with a video game are still fairly limited. It's like you you have an unlimited world in the video game. You have an unlimited world outside the video game, but the interface is limited. Uh And I think think there's going to be – at some point, some sort of sea change where somebody discovers something totally different. And it was almost, you know, for a while, people thought maybe it was the way the Wii, you know, you know, the kinetic sensing um, or whatnot. But I think there's still a new level of how that interaction happens, how that interface happens that is going to have is going to develop in order to completely revolutionize that and maybe it's simply modifications of some of the ideas that have already come up in this conversation but i sort of feel like there's something bigger that's going to happen still and it might be dependent on developing an entirely new technology you know 3d vr or whatever it should be but i just feel as though there's yet another level to that but we just we can't see it yet because it's one of those things that's going to be revolutionary hmm. you know and so if we could see it now we'd be the multimillionaires but obviously we're doing a podcast so we're not <laughs> right it kind of reminds me of the the movie gamer um kind of bringing it back to the regular to the regular topic because that was an absolutely terrible movie but uh that worked was that because one with the, Jared Butler. Yes. Oh. Yeah. And the, the 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 premise was is that the 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 gamer wouldn't be controlling necessarily sprites on a screen, but the gamer would be controlling a a real life person, and then would be playing as them, 
and interacting with them in the virtual world. Now it's kind of like had the Running Man type deal where there was you'd have these prisoners and they they would send the prisoners out with live ammo into like a first person shooter Call of Duty style uh, free for all. And and that's that's what the gamer would interact with. And they had some weird VR type setup where the gamer saw what the guy was seeing. But again, it was a, it was a stupid movie. And then there was this other part of it that was uh, the same deal, except it was uh, like Second Life. But instead of Second Life, it would be people that would then these were actors who were paid to go in and basically let some random gamer take over their brain for them and control them in this this little amusement park type world that they set up for these people. And uh, now obviously the, (laughs) the internet being what it is, I don't ever want to see that happen because that will go bad so fast, (laughs) so fast. But it's, uh, it's interesting that you, you talk about what's, what's the next level of controlling. And, and I think like, wow, they, somebody once put some thought into that and they came up with this, which was an awful thing, which was a terrible game or terrible game idea, which was a terrible movie, which somehow, as a meta to this podcast topic, I felt we needed to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a uh, that that is certainly uh, an interesting crossover. Uh, do you think Gamer would wind up in the bargain bin? I'm pretty sure Gamer's in the bargain bin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I that's a. This has been a fascinating conversation, but I think we're going to have to uh, put a fork in it. There's probably more uh, material here for us to dig out later if we choose to revisit the topic. But uh, for now, this is the part of the show where I like to ask or present, depending on who's ready for it, uh, some war stories, some interesting anecdotes from their working history. So... uh, Bill, Greg, do either of you have any interesting stories to share? I have one, but I, sure. I want to see what Bill has. Oh, I, I'm, I always forget about this part of the podcast, so I need need a second to collect. Okay, right, well, I'll, I, I'll I, eat first, and then <laughs> and then Bill will go, and then we'll, you'll you'll get it. Okay, so this is a this isn't really a funny story as much as this is was it's an interesting thing in terms of the QC uh, the Q uh, the quality assurance world and quality controls and just my my worst case scenario that I ever had. So we were shipping uh, a fairly large project, multi-million dollar project, and this was this was my first time ever as the as the test team lead. So I was I was very involved. I, I was you know everything needed to to go well because so many things can go wrong that aren't your fault, but people don't necessarily understand they're not your fault. So I was trying to mitigate every possible risk I could because if anything goes wrong. I'm I'm going to be the one that they're going to look at. And we were this was the day before shipping and we were just going to do we were going to do final tests and then I was going to give the thumbs up and then we're going to ship it first thing in the morning. And on the last day it's uh it's about six o'clock the, the night before and and everyone's finishing up and the last tester is finishing up his regression and and all of the what we sometimes call flying monkey testing and hmm. Which is like monkey testing, but I add flying to it just to give the extra oomph. This is how how much beyond monkey testing I need you to be. I need you to be a flying monkey. That's how crazy you got to be. And so we were just finishing that up, and uh, he was he went to to just shut down the 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 system the normal way you would shut it down, and there was a crash. <laughs> of of course there's a crash, 
And now, now, Liz, I'm I'm not the kind of person who understands that in a system this complex, there's probably crashes in there somewhere, somewhere. But this is something that happened just by normal standard operating, and we could not recreate it. And I'm thinking, oh shoot, now I got I got to start brief. I got to brief the project lead and the tech lead that there's a crash. It's something that will be very noticeable when it happens. It will. It, there's no way to not see it when we trigger it, but we don't know how to trigger it. And so we finally came down with the plan of like, you know, sometimes there's just a ghost in the machine. You can't do anything about it. So the, the idea was we would uh, the next day up until noon try our hardest to recreate the same steps that made it happen and and just and just see. And, you know, the problem is when you're following a procedure, it's it's really difficult to kind of figure out what was different the one time than the other because there's a strict procedure we're following and we're following it because we know that led to the crash and we 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 kept all of the system the the everything was meticulous and it looked like we were going to get away with it and then so noon was the cutoff and then at 11:30 we got the crash again so now everyone's in like super panic mode and I, I basically it, it, now I've been taking meetings and doing all this planning and administrational work, and I, I basically sat down in the system and I said, "All right, guys, um, nobody gets up until we can recreate this bug successfully." And n- not not to brag, but it was me in 45 minutes was able to successfully find a way to recreate the bug, so that we could finally say to the developers, "Here's what's causing it," Oof. because the. The, the crash, even the log, just weren't giving us anything usable. They, they told us what window, but it didn't tell us what was crashing on it. Mm. But I, I, we were finally able to, 45 minutes in, I was able to give it to them. They figured it out. It was the simple one-line fix. We changed the one line, and they gave it to me, and they said, okay, do uh, we understand this is a bad situation you're in. We have to ship today. That does not move. Do what you got to do to get a warm fuzzy that it's ready, and then we're gonna ship. And and so help me, I said, all right, everybody, all hands on deck. Yeah. Uh, we we leave at six, or we leave when we make it crash. <laughs> There's your motivation. <laughs> and and so we all banged on that system, and and I I will say, uh, despite the idea that I don't like that the final build was created the day of ship, because that's typically not how you'd like it to happen no yeah 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 that was i was not i was not in a happy place right then but we shipped uh so not only did we ship on time on budget but we had an unprecedentedly successful acceptance testing event with the customer all right that's my story (laughs) nice nice that is uh that is definitely a rough spot because um the the you you it sounds like you didn't get that wonderful question that comes up to QA of, of uh, why wasn't this found sooner? <laughs> the thing, the, the wonderful thing about my reputation and the fact that I was so involved and had so many, so many involved is that people understood and because I've certainly fielded those questions in, in the course of my career as a tester. Everyone has, but everyone understood based on the level of testing and that it was found on the last day that this had to be some major fluke in order to happen because there's no way that we wouldn't have tested it and wouldn't have been able to find it just given what we had been doing the weeks leading up to release day. Yeah. So I think just just by context, asking me why wasn't this found before, everybody knew it was going to be a stupid question. (laughs) 
Yeah, and then and then of course it's it, it's that terrible trap where in in certain situations just because you have to bow to what's reasonable, like you said, if you if it, if you got to noon the next day and you didn't see it again, oh well, because there's a certain point where it's like if it happened once, it didn't happen, but then if it happened twice. <sighs> Yeah, it's when it happened twice is when it was when I was so angry. But I had, I mean, so I said it was found at six. I stayed until midnight that night trying to recreate that bug, mm. and I couldn't do it. And I need, I needed that piece of information so I could show up the next day and say I stayed till midnight trying. It's not an easy bug to find. It's not something that people are gonna stumble into too quick. But then, you know, one of my testers after about three or four hours of testing found it. Like, all right, well, now this is a serious issue. Because you never know. We we had one bug. This actually, this came up during an acceptance test, mini, mini side story, where uh, one of, we, we used a third-party uh, a third party application in, in with ours. Because it was, it was one of those deals where we were, we were trying to simulate something that used this third-party application, and it was more cost-effective for us to just buy it and then integrate it into the simulation and make a new one. But it... There was a bug in there that we weren't aware of on the third-party application that on a certain day of the year, it would show up on the screen upside down. <laughs> and, of course, that day of the year where it shows up upside down is one of the days of acceptance testing with the customer. <laughs> so the customer looks and they say, why is the screen upside down? <laughs> you know, what, what are you supposed to do? You're, just, you're like, I don't know, but it's clearly upside down. I can understand why that would concern you. So, <laughs> so we had to we had to make some phone calls and find out like, oh yeah, known bug, October twenty third. It's upside down. We don't know why. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up, guys. And then, so then we walked back and said, so apparently on October twenty third, it's going to be upside down. So in that way, we are appropriately mimicking the operating system. <laughs> but, oh yeah. man, so that's that's mine. That's pretty crazy. Ah, Bill, were you able to think of anything? So I thought I'd give you an insight into what happens behind the scenes in, uh, well, I'll go with a theatrical endeavor this time. So, you know, when you're backstage in a play, the environments vary greatly. Sometimes you have, like, your own private dressing room and everything's grand and there's tons of space. Uh, Other times... Everybody is sort of crammed into one tiny dressing room and everything's really, really tight and you're kind of climbing over each other to get to your costumes. And I was in a situation where it was closer to the latter by a goodly bit than the former. And so everything was really tight and everybody's costumes are all on the same rack. And uh, you can hear a lot of crosstalk when you're back there trying to get ready and get in your costumes. And it's a period piece. So the costumes are it's a it's a period piece that's not uh, a fully realized period piece, by which I mean, it's stylized. It's uh, a version of what that period could look like. Um, It's not the actual period. But but what that means is all the costumes are, you know, pretty carefully distributed and you know everything's got to look right and what have you and so as you're back there in that environment there's a lot of crosstalk that you hear this that and the other and there's one one of the other actors is having trouble because they can't find part of their costume 
And so, now as I said, all the costumes are on one rack. So it's you know not too difficult to pick up a piece of that's from the wrong side of the divider or something along those lines um especially because you know there's there were probably like 12 people in this show and the one rack is not all that huge and the thing that i heard i don't know if you guys have ever had this experience where you hear a phrase or a sentence and it just sort of in your brain creates an entire story like you hear this one sentence and there's a world behind it that you just can't help but visualize. And so I'm back here in this dressing room. It's really, really crowded and everybody's running around and this one guy can't find one of his costume pieces and it's going on and on. And there's a tiny little lull. And the phrase that I hear is, these aren't my pants either. <laughs> <laughs> And and in my brain, in my brain, I instantly write this huge, huge scenario that's kind of like the hangover. I'm in a dead, and then I tried on another pair of pants, and they weren't the right pair either. I'm just like, how do you get to the point where you've tried on multiple pairs of pants, and they still aren't the correct pairs of pants? So... And it turned out it was a very simple thing where somebody had just picked up the wrong pair of pants and put them on and said, oh, yeah, I wondered why they were so big on me. Well, that's why they weren't your pants. And just hearing that phrase, and I love that phrase because sometimes I'll just say it randomly, like when things are all crazy, because I just want to see see what people think when they hear it, because these aren't my pants either <laughs> and it's really the either that sells it but that's the kind of crazy stuff that happens and that's not that crazy but those sorts of things panicky moments happen backstage all the time oh so-and-so can't find the bottle well, we have to find it uh, what are you? they need a water bottle we don't have a water bottle here give them a cup you know that i guess that's what we're using today um <laughs> Things like that happen a lot, but that moment would just always stuck in my mind because of the fact that you hear that phrase, and it's really hard not to think about what led up to it. <laughs> so, In my head, I'm repeating it over and over again, but putting emphasis on a different word each time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, and that happens, too. <laughs> Where you go, oh, these aren't my pants, either. <laughs> these aren't my pants, either. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) What else is not yours? (laughs) What's going on in that guy's world right now? And and when you hear that... Nothing's his, including these pants, apparently. When you hear that, it's just... Your brain just kind of blossoms. It's kind of nice. Well, if it weren't for my horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college. For anyone familiar with the Lewis Black routine. Yep. (laughs) I, de- I definitely uh, I had some shades of that during the story. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a, a very interesting conversation. Uh, thanks, Greg. Thanks, Bill, for coming by. Sure thing. You're welcome. All right. And that'll be it for us for today. If, there is, if there's anybody out there who would like to see me write about anything in, in particular in the Behind the Line article series or hear us talk about anything here on Behind the Line Radio, you can always get in touch with me at kinetic at kineticatenthusiacs.com. Uh, That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiacs.com. Or follow me on Twitter at kineticnose. See you all next time, everybody.
Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. Thank you.